Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. Right, let's start with the story. Okay, I want to take you back to 1970s New York. It's a long, hot summer, 1975-76, and the city is terrorized by its worst ever serial killer. David Verkovich, the son of Sam, shoots 13 people, killing six of them, injuring seven others. He starts many fires across the city, and the city is on lockdown. It's the worst ever serial killer attack. Eventually, they capture him and put him in prison for six consecutive life sentences. The city can rest at last. Then, about 20 years later, an evangelist called Steve Hill gets a letter. And Berkovich writes to him. And he says, come and visit me. He thinks, I don't want to do that. I know this guy. So Steve describes how he goes to New York City, he goes to the high security prison, he goes in one cell, another door, another door, to the inner cell, and he walks into this solitary confinement cell, and he said, I've never felt the presence of God so strong in my life. David Verkovich comes and he wraps his arms around Steve and says, great to see you, Steve. I wish all your programs. This man in his prison cell, he's accepted his crime, he doesn't want parole, he refuses it, has accepted Jesus, and he's changed dramatically. Steve said, it's like meeting the Apostle Paul. The power of God upon this man who accepted what he'd done wrong, accepted the forgiveness of Christ, and found forgiveness. That is the power of the gospel that changes lives. You know, what is forgiveness? In our survey around Easter time, one in five people responded to it, said that betrayal was the key thing. Being betrayed, being let down, somebody doing the dirty on us. That was the main thing. They couldn't find love. And, you know, when we grow up, even from a young age, we can learn to be cynical. People let us down, don't they? Yeah. People do things they say they would never do. And then they don't do things they said they would do. Even from a young age, we find that. People let us down big time. They cheat on us. They fail us. And they just build this thing into our lives. We say, I won't trust anyone again. Or I won't trust that person. You know, sometimes they're little things and we need to get over it. But sometimes they're very serious. Sometimes parents let us down. Sometimes siblings and, and good friends just turn their back on us. And sometimes we're hurt by people who we think love us and we love them. Betrayal is a tough thing and forgiving people is really tough. You know, we can look back in our lives and maybe an incident or a course of events really impacted us and we say, I'll never be the same person. I'll never trust again. How can I ever forgive that? And I'm not going to say, oh, build a bridge and get over it because I know that's not easy. And all of us here carry something, don't we, with us? Maybe something in our lives, something that's happened to us, and we think to ourselves, I'm not going to trust anyone again. It happens. 
No, there is there are a host of deep and abiding hurts and needs in our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. Some of you have to get your Bibles out. <laughs> um, Paul writes to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, he's really written off. Not, no, not crooked. What I mean is he's really told them off. He said to them, don't live like this. Don't do that. Live like that. There's this happening amongst you. He really tells the church off. And in 2 Corinthians, he writes, not an apology note, but he says, you know, I was tough with you guys. I gave you both barrels. But he says these words in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10. He says, Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, sometimes we can have, sometimes we can have sorrow that's, that's a bit false, really. <laughs> repentance and forgiveness and all of those things have to be on God's terms in line with the word of God, because that's what changes our hearts and makes us different people. We don't on the world terms. Sometimes we're tempted to just, you know, put, brush something under the carpet. That's not how things work. Let me give you a definition of what forgiveness is. Forgiving others is completely releasing someone from a debt that they owe us. It's forgetting it, not speaking of it, not holding a grudge, and further on, it is able to, if possible, to face that person and to bless them, to think and to speak well of them, to put them before ourselves. That's tough, isn't it? Because, you know, they may not return that to you. They may laugh in your face. They may not even be around. They may have died or, or just you may not be in contact with them. But, you know, as with all commands in the New Testament, there is no partiality allowed. None whatsoever. The command is to forgive. Several times in the Gospels and in Paul's letters, Jesus and Paul and the writers of the New Testament say, you must forgive. It's not a suggestion. It's not good practice. It's a command. A command. In Matthew chapter 6, we see the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer, verses 9 to 14. You know that pretty well. But one of the lines is, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And at the end of the Lord's Prayer, sometimes it's the bit we, we don't read because it's after the amen. <laughs> um, Jesus says this, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Jesus says, forgive and you will be forgiven. We cannot be forgiven unless we forgive. That's what the Bible teaches really, really clearly. You know, we need forgiveness, don't we? We need forgiveness because we do things wrong. I do loads wrong. Anyone here never done anything wrong? <laughs> Deliberately or accidentally? You know, don't you? I don't need to tell you that, that none of us are perfect. None of us are holy. The standard is God himself. And none of us can match him. It says in Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. But we are all like an unclean thing. And our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. I won't describe to you what filthy rags is in the Hebrew. Because we're in a family audience. But if you look up the roots and see the reason what the filthy rags are. You will see. 
Now, God is holy. It doesn't mean he's just very, very good. It doesn't mean he's just, you know, a bit higher than us. He is so much different from us. He is set apart because he's so different. He is so unique. There is no one like him. He is holy and set apart. And however hard we try, we can never match that standard. And the interesting thing is that when Jesus came and he took on flesh, he was just as holy as God the Father through his whole life. Just as holy. And that is the standard that Jesus sets. That is why (laughs) we need forgiveness. So why do you need forgiveness? Well, the simple fact is that we are cut off from God. So we need forgiveness for salvation. We need it for salvation. You know, if God is 100% righteous, what are you and what am I? You know, for the Christian today, the answer is 100% because we have the righteousness of Christ. But without that, We can't even get to 1%, I don't think. So we need forgiveness for salvation. What else do we need it for? We need it for our health and well-being. You know, unforgiveness can lead to bad fruit in our lives. It can lead to all sorts of things happening. You know, I've known people who have borne a grudge for years. Five years, 10, 20, 30 40 years, something happened in the past and 40 years ago it still flavours and colours their life and their attitudes and everything that they do. You know, that person has moved on. Maybe they didn't even know they did it. And yet the person who holds the grudge, they're still holding it. It still carries everything they do and, and, and what they say. And it's, it's, it, they justify themselves and maybe they'll tell you their story and you'll think, yeah, actually that was pretty tough. But actually, they're still carrying the bitterness. They're still carrying the pain. They're still saying, oh, this, if that hadn't happened, if that hadn't happened. And, and you know, it, it can affect their health. It can affect their family. It can affect their workplace. And I know people, this is not always the case, who have physical sickness as a result of their unforgiveness. They sort of go hand in hand. They're holding on to something and they cannot move in on in God and they cannot move on in their lives because they are bearing and carrying that pain. You know, I saw a, um, a nature program a couple of years ago. Was there a bottle there just now? <laughs> I'll forgive you if you stole my one. <laughs> well, surely. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> stole my one, but I don't know. I'll forgive you, Mark. I was giving you a case study. <laughs> I saw a nature program a couple of years ago. And it was about these hunters, right? And I don't know where they were, somewhere overseas. And um, they wanted to catch monkeys, okay? Because they ate them. But monkeys can be quite vicious. And also they run very fast and they're quite good climbers. And so they, but they devised a way to catch them. Okay, they, they would, the hunter would go to a termite mound, which is quite near where a monkey colony was. And knowing the monkeys were watching them, they would drill a hole in the termite mound, okay? Drill a hole just about a certain size, and they would put nuts in there or something sweet, something that monkeys like eating. And then the hunter would withdraw to the trees, just stand out of view. And before long, down they would come out of the trees. What's going on? What's he been doing? What's he been doing? They'd approach the termite mound and sort of look in the hole. And then they'd put their hand into the hole. 
and grabbed the nuts. And when they tried to pull their hand out, the hand wouldn't come out because they're holding the nuts. Okay, they're holding on to the food and they can't quite figure it out because monkeys aren't very intelligent, if you know that. But, um, <laughs> but there it was. It's a good sized hole, wasn't it? And so the monkey would be there and the hunter would just walk out from the trees and there's the monkey there panicking. He's holding on to the nuts and he sees the hunter approaching and then it's monkey on the menu because they didn't have the intelligence or the desire to let go. Yeah. hope you can see that picture now. Sometimes we just don't want to let go. Sometimes people say, I'm going to hold on to this. I'm going to hold on to that person. I'm going to hold on to that regret and that unforgiveness because I want to get my pound of flesh. And they end up destroying their lives because they're stuck in that termite mound. You know, the Greek word for forgive is made up from two words, apo, from, and hemi, to send. So forgiveness is to let go or to send from. When you forgive somebody or you forgive something, you let it go, okay? You send it away and you don't take it back. That's the power of the word in the New Testament. You know, one of the things we need most of all to live healthy lives as believers is peace. Do you know that? Sometimes we think it's gifts. Gifts are important. Sometimes we think it's other things. But actually what we need is peace. If you have peace with God, it is a platform for anything. It is a platform for the miraculous. It is a platform for provision. It is a platform for a healthy life that blesses others. We need peace in our lives. Let me give you some places in the New Testament where peace appears. So here's a definition of the kingdom of God. Okay, it's Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's part of the kingdom, the peace of God. Okay? So what does the peace of God do for us? What does it do for us as human beings? Well, go to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, and it tells us that the peace of God guards us okay it guards us so philippians 4 7 and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus it will guard us and often in my life i say to elizabeth or i you know we we've got a situation and somebody rings us maybe or this happens or that happens and i lose my peace i said oh no we're gonna do oh what that and then i think no and i've learned this it's hard lesson and I still have to learn it now. Sometimes I have to take a step back and say, right, I need God's peace in this. I need God to guard my heart so I, I'm not rash and guard my mind so I don't panic. And I need to get the, the guarding of the peace of God. Then I can think rationally. Then I can hear from God. If you don't have peace, you won't hear from God. You won't be able to settle his spirit and hear what he's saying to you. So it guards us. Okay, what's the next one the peace of God does? It rules over us. Okay, Colossians Chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Colossians 3, 12 to 17. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. It's very clear, isn't it, Paul, in there? 
But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. So the peace of God rules over us. It guards us heart, guards our minds, and it rules over us. So we need the peace of God. And in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14, the writer says, Pursue peace with all people. All people, not just nice ones. It's easy, isn't it, with the nice ones that like us and say nice things about us. We like that. But with all people, even that person who lives down the road, you know what I mean? Or that person in our family, you know, it's the closer one sometimes, isn't it, we have trouble with. That person who we're related to, who we have flesh and blood relation to. But the scripture says all people. It doesn't even say just Christians, does it? It says all people. If we don't have peace, we won't function properly as a believer. It's vital and it's very, very important. If we do not forgive, we won't have peace. It's quite simple really, but actually it's really tough. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But if we want to hear God, we need to live in his peace. So how do we forgive? Well, firstly, my first point is that we have to forgive quickly. We have to make sure that we forgive quickly. You know, people that are full of the spirit are quite hard to offend. But people who are religious are very easy to offend. Religious people got offended really quick. And so I checked myself and I think, Am I being religious about this if I don't like something? But people that are full of the spirit, you know, we can poke them quite a bit before they get upset. Amy Carmichael said these words. She said, the eternal essence of a thing is not in the thing itself, but in one's reaction to it. I'm going to say that again. The eternal essence of a thing is not in the thing itself, but in one's reaction to it, how we react to a situation. So I said... Forgive quickly. My next point is, don't forgive too fast. Seems a contradiction, but sometimes it takes a while for something, you know, to come to the surface. We might think, oh, that didn't bother me all those years ago, or what that person said, or what happened. But sometimes God has to work on us. Sometimes he has to dig a bit deeper, you know, and begin to draw things out. And then we get under pressure somewhere, and suddenly this situation comes out. If that hadn't happened to me then, then this wouldn't be happening now. Ever said that? I have. (laughs) You know, God may just slow things down a little bit, slow things down so that we can begin to draw out what the problem is. I don't know, you may, I did have it on the slide, but there's a famous painting or a lithograph or something by Isha that um, if ever you've seen it, you know, because it's like a staircase that goes round and round and round. And the the picture has windows on the outside, this this painting. but the staircase sort of inverts, and it seems as though you can't, you, if you follow the staircase, you cannot get out of the picture. And um, it's been used in sometimes popular films. <laughs> but sometimes life is like that, you know. We're stuck on that staircase, and we think we're just getting to the right place, and then we turn a corner, and we're back where we are. Because sometimes, you know what God does? He holds you somewhere. He holds you there, and you think, oh, I need to get on and do what you want me to do. Lord, I've got, I've got a calling on my life. God says, no, you're not ready for that. I'm putting you back in the staircase because there's something you've got to deal with. There's something you've got to come face to face with. There's something you've got to clear from your mind. You've got to have a clear mind so you can forgive and move on because it's all about character development. So sometimes we cannot forgive too fast. We may say, yeah, of course I forgive them. But actually deep in here, there's something still going on. What's our third point? 
except that people may not forgive you. I said it a bit earlier, but you may forgive and they may laugh in your face. They may not forgive you. In Matthew chapter 18, we find the um, parable of the unforgiving servant. Some of you may be familiar with that. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to talk about it. But Matthew 18 deals with this, this, um, this servant who will not forgive. It starts at verse 22, and, um, or 21, sorry, at verse 21, Matthew 18, 21. It says, Then Peter came to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? That's Peter saying, seven, that's good, isn't it? I could forgive him seven times. In, 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 in sort of biblical literature, seven is the perfect number. So he's saying, right, seven times I could forgive someone. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Mathematicians have already answered that one, haven't you? <laughs> It's 490, isn't it? So I had to look it up. But I guess I said it wrong. Is that right? <laughs> so, you know, why does Jesus say that? Well, seven is a perfect number. But, you know, if you go back to Genesis 4, Genesis chapter 4, okay, and verses 23 to 24, we find a very nasty man called Lamech. Okay, he was a nasty piece of work. He was the first man in the Bible to have two wives, and that wasn't right. <laughs> um, but he was violent. He was revengeful. And he said these words, he said, if a man should hurt him, even a youth should hurt me, he said, I'm going to avenge him 70 times seven. They were his words. So Jesus is, is, is talking about that man, isn't it? It's a, it's, a, it's a sign of somebody who is vengeful. But, you know, true faith, true faith, not only builds a relationship with God, but it builds a relationship with people as well. That's what true faith does. It doesn't exclude people. And the central tenet of the biblical teaching is that we should show mercy and compassion to one another. Now, this um, parable I mentioned and the rest of chapter 18 of Matthew 18 is about a servant who, who has a debt of 10,000 talents with his master. When they open the books, now that's the equivalent of four and a half billion pounds. Do you know that? In modern terms. It is a lot of money, okay? Even the whole province of Judea in the time of Jesus only paid 300 talents a year taxed to the central government. So you're thinking, how on earth did he get this much debt? So when Jesus starts that, they're thinking, wow, that's a lot of debt. And he says, oh, you know, I'm going to pay it off. Don't worry and all that stuff and have mercy. And so his master says, oh, just, just forget it. I forgive you off that debt. All that money, he doesn't even put in a payment plan. It just says, this is it. I forgive you completely. So Jesus is saying, wow, listen to this guy. This master forgives this servant. An enormous debt, something he could never hope to pay off. Something for which his whole family could end up in slavery for the rest of their lives. And probably be split up and sold off to different slave masters. So what an incredible, incredible, forgiving master he is. But then it says, okay, then it says that this guy goes out and he grabs a fellow servant who owns 300 denarii. That's about three months' wages or so. And um, he grabs him by the throat and says, pay me this debt, pay me this debt. And he, and he throws him into prison and says, you're going to pay me that debt off. Now, the, the other servants see this and they go to the master and they tell him what's happened. And so the master gets really angry then. And he calls this guy and he says, right, that's it. I showed you mercy and you haven't shown mercy. You've not learned any lessons about the debt you've been forgiven and therefore you're going to pay it off. Therefore you're going to go into slavery. You know, there is a, an eternal perspective to this and there is a local perspective to this as well. And we as believers had been forgiven so much. 
of all that we've done because of the love of God. We've been forgiven so much. You can see the parable outworking, can't you? That because we've been forgiven, we should also forgive. Because no one's going to do anything against us like the human race has done against God. In Shakespeare's play, The Merchant of Venice, Portia says these words, The quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as the gentle rain from heaven. Upon the place beneath it is twice blessed. It blessed him that gives and him that takes. Now, Portia is saying there, isn't she, to, to Shylock, she's talking to, if you know the, the play, she says, you know, mercy is like rain. It comes down from heaven and it waters things and everything goes green and, and lush because of the rain. And it's a blessing and everybody's blessed by it. And so is mercy. The quality of mercy blesses the person who gives it and the person who receives it as well. It's a wonderful thing. Choose mercy. Choose forgiveness. They are godly characteristics that we cannot deny. This man had received wonderful mercy from God, and yet he didn't reciprocate that by forgiving someone who had a much smaller debt against him. And if we don't forgive, then bitterness will poison and color every single relationship we have. But what about those who have wronged us? You know, what if my complaint is just? Shouldn't there be some sort of recompense? But again, we look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13, where Paul says, bearing one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, it doesn't say whether it's just or not, does it? If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave, so you, must, so you also must do. I'm repeating those scriptures that we must. And we think, oh, you know, is God going to hit me on the head? No, he's not. Because the reason he says that is because he wants you to experience forgiveness. He wants you to come into a relationship with him. Right now and in heaven, you know, there is an eternity that awaits us all. Sometimes it could be an eternity to death and sometimes an eternity to life. And God wants us to choose life. That is why he says this right clearly through the scriptures. That he wants us to receive forgiveness, to enter into eternal life and enter into life now, right now. Enjoy a life that's full of God. And sometimes we need to accept that things may not change. You know, a change in circumstances is not always the best solution. Do you know that? The best solution is a change in you. Even with the circumstance the same. That's what God is trying to achieve. He's trying to change you, to move you on in God. And as always, it's never in our own strength. God never says that. He doesn't say, get on with it and come back when you've sorted it out. You know, the cross is a supernatural event. Why is it that that supernatural event of the Son of God laying down his life on the cross sets us free? Because that is what God has declared it to be. The perfect sacrifice for us. And so when we come to forgive, God is there with us. So the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, he can change our hearts so that we are able to release people and forgive people that we never thought we'd be able to do. So that we can actually love them and hug them and want to be with them, even though they may have done things wrong. Here's an important principle. I'm going to read this to you first. Matthew chapter 5, 23 to 24. Matthew 5, 23 to 24. 
Therefore, if you, bring your, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Forgiveness and reconciliation always precedes prayer and worship. You know, we may want to get to the meeting and have a good time and enjoy the speaker, but actually we've got to forgive people first. And there are people I know and I've helped or tried to help and I've learned the lesson myself is that they say, oh, I've been to the meetings and people say, oh, the presence of God was there. But I didn't feel anything. Sometimes I'm like that because I think maybe, maybe you know, they got excited about a certain song and I didn't. But, but you know, this is talking to people who never experienced the presence of God, cannot receive the Holy Spirit, cannot move on in God. And quite often, you know what it is? It's unforgiveness. They're not forgiven. They're holding on to something in their hearts and God just cannot get through. And so sometimes we have to examine our hearts. I'm not saying it's always that. Okay, I'm not saying it's always that. But there are people, and I believe there are people here today maybe, who you're not experiencing God as you could do because you're holding on to something in the past. Why are you holding on to it? Why do we hold on to things when we can be free, free in God and enjoy the fullness of the Holy Spirit? That's what God wants. And he wants to help you do that. <laughs> sometimes, you know, the person we can't forgive is ourselves. You know, we all make mistakes, as I said, intended or otherwise. And you, we can think sometimes of situations in the past. We think if I hadn't said that, if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't acted in that way, that person wouldn't be hurting today. But you know, God has made provision for that. It says in Isaiah 53 and verse 10, 700 years before the cross happened, that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He sent his son to the cross so that he could bear our sin and our punishment. It says in John 3 and verse 17, God not, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God doesn't condemn you. He doesn't. He says, come and have forgiveness. Come and receive forgiveness. Receive the fullness of forgiveness and receive the love of God. And I don't condemn you. That's what it says in the scripture. Jesus didn't come to condemn us. He took that condemnation upon himself so that we didn't have to carry that. We didn't have to carry this burden in our life so we can give it over to Jesus and be free and live a free relationship with him. It may mean that we have to go back and say sorry, of course, if we can. Maybe we need to write a letter or do something if we can't get to the person or just write it and give it to someone we know, but we need to seek forgiveness. You know, Moses gave the children of Israel 613 commandments in the law. David reduced them, narrowed them, if you like, to 11 in Psalm 15. Isaiah has six in Isaiah 33. And in the book of Micah, it's reduced to three. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Do we love mercy this morning? Are we willing to forgive and be forgiven? Is there something we need to deal with in our lives? Even today, maybe make a resolution and say, I'm going to do something about that. I want to move on in God. Elizabeth and I had something terrible to happen to us a number of years ago now. And it took a couple of years to process it. Three or four years. And I kept coming back to it. And I thought I'd got over it and I hadn't. It took a while. He had to really draw it out. Sometimes it's like drawing poison out. Um, but it brings freedom. We love those people now. 
I love them. They're great people. I like meeting them. But it's not me. I know that's not me. I, that's not me naturally. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm quick-tempered. I'm impatient. But God is helping me to, be, to receive that grace and to be a different person. And maybe today, that's you. Maybe today you think, I've got no peace. I don't know where my future's going. I'm just living in the past. Well, be free today. I want to ask you now, I want to challenge you and say, firstly, to those who you say, well, actually, you know, I've come to church a bit, but I'm not sure if I, if I, if I know Jesus, all this stuff they're talking about. Maybe you're just living in unforgiveness. You need to receive God's forgiveness today. No matter what you've done, it doesn't matter. You can receive forgiveness. And for those of us who are believers, followers of Jesus, we may not have forgiven somebody. You know, God wants you to be free from that. He wants you to put that behind, to send it away, and to receive his forgiveness. Now, I want you to just close your eyes just for a moment, just while we're here. If you want me to pray for you, if you'd like to raise your hand, I'm going to pray with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. Okay. So I'm going to pray. You know, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can receive and give forgiveness. So, Lord, I just bring us to you today. I ask, Lord, for your power, Lord, to be evidence amongst us. Thank you for the cross, that ultimate example of forgiveness. Thank you for our forgiveness because of that. And Lord, I just pray you'll help us today to release those things, release those people we're holding in a grip. Dear Lord, in Jesus' name. And may the peace of God guard your hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.